Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. Two words, unseen kingdoms. That's my message today. Unseen kingdoms. Two kingdoms consisting of angels. How many of you are fans of angels? And demons. Much controversy has surrounded these topics, hasn't it? We've heard many narratives, many people's opinions, such as angels. Do they really exist? Do demons really exist? If so, where do they come from? It's an important question. A lot of people don't understand the origin. Where do they live? And what purpose do they serve? Angels have a purpose. Demonic spirits also have a design, a strategy, and a purpose to fulfill. Much of society's understanding of these supernatural beings, they've been fashioned by mysticism. A lot of mystics out there. They're looking for the aura. Polytheism, multiple gods, worshiping of many gods. And even the entertainment industry has promoted their belief system, their take on angels and demons. And many times portraying demons as more powerful than God and his angelic hosts. So let's begin by looking at what scripture says. Don't you think the word of God is a good place to start? Let's begin at looking at what Scripture says first about angels. Because both of these kingdoms began in one place. John Milton, the English poet, he wrote this about angels. Millions of spiritual creatures walk the earth unseen, both when we wake and when we sleep. For God will deign to visit off the dwellings of just men, delighted... And with frequent intercourse thither will send his winged messengers on errands of supernal grace. The first thing that's important to understand when we look at angels is that angels were created. They're not divine. They're not deity. They were created and they were created by the creator. Who's the creator? God himself. Look at what David says in Psalm 148, verses 1 through 5, and take note of the reference of angels. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. Praise Him, you heavens of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord For he commanded, and they were what? Created. Angels were created, according to Scripture, one reference of many, by God. So what does that mean? That means that angels are not on the same level as God. That's why praying to angels is forbidden in Scripture. The worship of angels is forbidden in Scripture. Again, angels were created, which means they have a beginning. Unlike God, who has no beginning, and he has no end. That's why God is called the creator. You know what the difference is between infinite and eternity, eternal is? Infinite means there's a beginning but no end. Eternal means there's no beginning, there's no end. That's why God's eternal, amen? We're infinite. We have a beginning, whether saved or unsaved. There'll be no ending. Either eternity in heaven because of eternal life through Jesus. Or an eternity in hell because of refusing to commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Infinite has a beginning but no ending. Eternal has no beginning, no ending. Now scripture uses several different titles when referencing these supernatural entities. Such as what we've referenced already, angels but also archangels, ministering spirits, heavenly hosts, heavenly beings. In the Hebrew and Greek, they define angel also as guardian, ambassador, and here's the one I want to reference, messenger. 
The Greek word angelos means messenger, and obviously angels are messengers from God for God. Which tells us what? That angels carry out God's assignments, not their own, not ours. That's why if you pray to an angel, Lord, I just... This angel that you place here, I command this angel to do this, to do that. That is unbiblical. There is nowhere in Scripture where it says we have command or charge over angels. God does, but we petition God, and then He sends His ministering spirits. He sends His angelic hosts. He sends His ambassador or messenger. When you look at Psalm 91, verse 11, again, He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. When you look at Scripture, you'll find God sent angels with a message to Abraham and Lot prior to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. God sent an angel to rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrews, from the fiery furnace. It was an angel that protected Daniel in the lion's den. Scripture reads that he closed the mouths of the lions through his holy angel. It was the archangel Gabriel that came with a message of Messiah, first to Mary, and then to settle Joseph and show him truth in the divinity of this moment. Angels announced Messiah's birth to the shepherds who were keeping watch over their flocks by night in the fields. Angels ministered to Jesus after being in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, tempted of the devil, He had been fasting and praying, and then in a weakened physical condition, after Satan had tried to cause our Savior to obey his command rather than God the Father's command. Jesus was victorious. He was successful. Aren't you glad the Lord never fails? Amen. Me too. Me too. And then what did the Lord do for him? What did God the Father do for Jesus? He sent angels who ministered to him and fed him. What about after Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal? He ran into the wilderness because all of a sudden this great man of faith, great man of faith, all of a sudden was overcome and overwhelmed by fear. How many of you have ever experienced great faith? And then also the antithesis, you've encountered great fear that's just tried to overshadow you. Well, if you have, you're just like Elijah, and he was a man that never saw death. God came and took him in a chariot of fire. How many of you would rather go in a chariot of fire rather than having to face that final enemy that Paul talks of? Send the fire. Hallelujah. But Elijah, discouraged, he, he was just running on empty. He was human. God sent angels to feed him and touch him. He ate and he slept. Some of you feel like you're overwhelmed. Get in the Word. Amen. Pray. Amen. But do some practical things too. Get some rest and eat. Right? But not ice cream. (laughs) In other words, feed your body with good fuel. When you look at angels, it was also an angel that delivered Peter when he was in prison. From death. He, he was awaiting execution. Then all of a sudden, Peter thought he was having a vision. He thought he was having a dream. He didn't realize at the moment that this was a divine encounter. God was answering the prayers of the church that were saying, Lord, release Peter from this prison. Save him from death. Satan wanted to stop the foundation of the apostles' doctrines. And Peter was crucial to that. He was a spiritual father in the church. The church of Jesus Christ needs spiritual fathers and mothers. Left to our own with those who have gained wisdom and are in the presence of God, that can become dangerous. None of us are an island unto ourselves. We need each other. And as the church prayed as great of a man of faith as Peter was, he needed the prayers of the saints. And what did God do? God heard their prayers and sent an angel, a messenger. And literally, supernaturally, the doors of the prison opened. The chains fell off Peter, and he walked out. The gates even opened automatically. Now, nowadays, we're used to that, entering the grocery store or other establishments. The doors have sensors, and they automatically open. But back then, there was no technology like that. Finally, when Peter was a distance from the city and the prison, 
he came to himself and realized, indeed, God had sent his holy angel. Aren't angels wonderful? Aren't you glad that God has created angels to fulfill God's plan? And that means when we're seeking God's plan and we're seeking his purposes for our lives, even when it looks uncertain, God is always certain. Did you hear me? I said, God is always certain. And he'll even send the reinforcements of angelic hosts. The Bible says, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about those that fear the Lord. That doesn't mean you have a phobia of God. That means you have a reverence of God. You believe him. You believe his word. You believe his promises. And you seek to live for him. If our eyes could be opened right now into the spirit realm, that unseen dimension, we would see angels throughout this entire auditorium. Because there's an angel assigned to each and every one of you. Same is true for those of you who are worshiping online. If your eyes were opened right now, whether you're at work, you're in the kitchen, you're at your TV and your family room, wherever you might be, driving in the car, listening, not watching. You don't want to watch the live stream when you're driving. Somebody say amen. You would see an angel of Almighty God if you love the Lord, assigned specifically for you. That is a comforting thought. That is an encouraging thought. Thank God for His faithfulness. Praise the Lord. I encountered, I believe, an angelic visitation. It was 1985. I was a youth pastor and worship leader at a church in New Jersey. I was working hard for the Lord. I love the Lord. Then I love Him now. But I had really exhausted myself. You know, sometimes we can work ourselves into exhaustion. And that's when we know we're doing it and not God. You know, our motivation is right. But sometimes we just try to do what God says, I'll do. You just be my voice and I'll back up my words through you. But I had exhausted myself. A friend of mine had come into town who was doing a musical concert, Terry Talbot. And he was setting up. His band left then to go have dinner and, and, and just then get dressed for the evening of worship. I was sitting in the church by myself. And I was just tired. And then God began to speak to my spirit from the Old Testament, Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And I heard that over and over again. Then all of a sudden... And a building that had been locked was secured. I'm the only one there because I was the only key holder at that time in the facility. There's a man shouts to me from across the auditorium. And he says, young man, I have a word for you. Now, I've got to tell you, my first response wasn't spiritual. My first response was, how did you get in here? I had no idea what was happening, but God did. He says, I came in over there. Then I just approached him, medium height, white hair. Handed me a small piece of paper, and he said, read this to me. And I read it, and it was exactly the same verse that the Holy Spirit had been speaking to me just seconds and minutes prior to him standing in that auditorium. And I read the paper. It said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. I said to him, again, not too spiritual, where'd you get this? You know, God, God, God has to smile and laugh at times, doesn't he? When he sees us, here he is doing something so wonderful to encourage his servant, and I didn't get it yet. How many of you have ever had a thick brain? I think we've all had thick brains at times where God was pulling off the layers. So he could get through. I said, where'd you get this? And he goes, I wrote it down. Obviously he did. I, he said, it's, it's on a magazine out in the lobby of your church. I said, show me. And scripture says, test the spirits to see if they're of God or not, right? <laughs> That's not why I was thinking that then. But obviously this man had my attention. Walked out into the lobby and right there at the top of one of the magazines in our literature rack, 
the Pentecostal evangel. It said, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And he said to me, whenever we use the word of God, it's good to know where it's found. He then left the building. That night, when the concert began, he was right on the front row, dead center. Saw him with his hands lifted, worshiping. My mind couldn't stop thinking about what had just happened. I heard hardly any of the music because now I was so captivated that God would come and encourage me when I was exhausted, when I, I, I needed help. God could have used a person, but he sent another person. And I've got to tell you, I'll be honest, my mind was saying, I wonder if that was an angel. Then I was like, nah, not for me. Why not? Why not for me? Why not for any of you? Why not? Gideon didn't expect an angelic visitation, did he? Here he is threshing wheat in a wine press filled with fear. The most unlikely candidate to lead the nation of Israel into freedom and victory. But yet God came to him. So why not you? Why not those of you who are worshiping online? Why not you? Why would God overlook any of us? The answer is he wouldn't. Halfway through, I looked back again where the gentleman had been sitting. He was gone. Right afterwards, when I got home, I couldn't wait to share with Cindy. Two years later, I was getting ready to plant my first church. Lead pastor. Friends of mine. Christian music group called Lamb, Messianic Ministry. Joel Chernoff, Rick Levy, friends of mine. Rick's with the Lord now. I had them there, and for whatever reason, I, I remembered this encounter, and I began to share it with Joel. And Joel gave me the look that many of you maybe have been given when you've shared something personal and divine that you felt God did for you. Joel gave me the look of, you're crazy. Have you ever had people look at you like, so I said to him, I said, I know what you're thinking, but I'm telling you. I don't know if it was or wasn't an angel from heaven, but it was a messenger from God, and it, ch it changed my whole perspective and encouraged me. And right while I'm talking, I look, and right over Joel's shoulder, he had his back to the door where that man had originally, two years prior, appeared. The same guy was standing there. Two years later, had never seen him, heads or tail, in that interim. Two years later, he's standing there. And I said, Joel, there he is. Joel turns around. The man looks at me. The individual, I believe with all my heart, a messenger from God, an angel. He says, young man, pastor. Last time I was here, I had a word for you. Do you remember? Then he walked towards me. And Joel's just looking like this, back and forth. I said, yes, sir. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. At this point, I was convinced God had my total attention. And here I am ready to start something I had never done before. I was scared and afraid because I knew I was inadequate. And he looked at me and he said, never forget these words. Then he turned to Joel. Afterwards, Joel came to me and said, I believe you, Craig, because this man shared things that only God knew. Ministry began in music. He was in that same seat, front row, dead center. Hands lifted. I'm rejoicing now. I was ready for that next phase of my life in ministry. Then halfway through, I looked back. He was gone. Never saw him again, ever. See, even when we read these things in Scripture, God wants us to know that these things can happen now. And guess what? They do. They do. Thank God for God's kingdom. Thank God for the, the angels that represent His kingdom. But there's another kingdom that opposes God and His holy angels. The kingdom of darkness which is ruled by Satan and his demons. Again, where did demons originate from? How did they make their way? Scriptures teach that demons originated from fallen angels. If you go into the book of Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, John the Apostle records 
the history of a war that took place in heaven even before creation. Let's look at it together. Revelation 12, 7 through 9. And a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, which is Satan, and the dragon and his demons, or his angels, fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Who deceives the whole world? Satan, the devil. He, has, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Satan's name before this revolt, before this war, was Lucifer. It meant son of the morning. He was a radiator of light. In the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. God is light. In him there's no darkness. But the moment Satan, because of the pride in his heart, he was covetous. He wanted the throne of God. The created wanted to become the creator. And the moment he assaulted God by raising up a revolt, taking with him, deceiving one-third of the angels. Now, do you know the Bible teaches that the angels are without number? They're infinite. So let me ask you, what is one-third of infinite? What is one-third of infinite? That means that's without number as well. So Lucifer and one-third of the angels rebelled against God. This resulted in their expulsion from heaven to the earth. Theologians teach us, I believe this as well. Notice if Satan and the demons were cast to the earth, the earth was already here, but not man. He was cast to the earth, which means this happened before the creation of Adam and Eve. And what theologians bring out, the restoration of a fallen earth. What place the earth, not as we know it now, because of six days of God's nonstop miracle working ability, but the earth that was already there waiting for God's plan to be enacted, what caused it? To go into this fallen state. Theologians bring out the correlation between this event, pre-Adamic history, and the Ice Age. When there's an absence of light and there's total darkness, there's a massive freeze. And so Satan now and his demon cohorts were cast to the earth, walking the earth, And the very essence that they were, darkness, the absence of light, the earth was in that same condition. In fact, isn't it amazing when God, if you go to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. That's how the earth got into that condition. And so here you see, All of this. And then, theologians bring out that when God started that six-day event of creation, that's when Satan was no longer with his demons allowed to walk the earth. And they bring out that is when hell was created, the lower parts of the earth, for Satan and his demons. Think about it. When God created man, this planet, for however long it was, because there was no time until God created time in the, in the creation account, but for however long it was, Satan walked on the dirt of the earth. That was his stomping ground, you could say. And now, the very thing that he took as his new kingdom was taken from him, speaking of the devil, taken by God from the enemy. And then God, from Satan's perspective, had the audacity to fashion man from the dirt I once walked on? And now, he not only had the audacity to do that, but he created this man in male and female gender in his own image. Satan was outraged. He wanted to be like God. That's what got him booted out of the kingdom of heaven. And now... 
He creates man from the dirt of the earth. And remember, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. The Scripture says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Scriptures say, heaven is His throne, but the earth is His footstool. God loves His footstool. I love my footstool at home. Sometimes my dog Gus tries to take my footstool by plopping all over it. But I don't care because I love Gus, so I let him enjoy my footstool. And you know what? God loves man. He loves male and female. His image, his offspring, made in his image so we could have relationship. God wanted family when he created. And because he loves mankind, why else would God, when the fall transpired, we're going to look at that in a second, why else would he send his only son in the form of man, to redeem man from this fallen condition if he didn't love people. For God so loved the world. That means the good, the bad, and the ugly. We were all sinners before we came to Christ. Varying degrees, but still, sin is still sin. But yet he loved us. He sent his son for us. My goodness, God is faithful. And then when this deception transpired, Satan had one objective. Jesus revealed it in John 10.10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. So those who were created in his image, he hated. Satan hated the image of God. And after failing in his attempt of a heavenly rebellion, Satan now was determined not to fail in this earthly rebellion against people. And how does the devil seek to do this? By discrediting, distorting, and dismissing the Word of God. You remove the Word of God, you remove the standard of God. You remove the measuring stick of God. You remove the, that definition of What's good and what's evil, what's right and what's wrong, what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. And when he came against Eve in the garden, look at what Scripture says. Eve tells him she's not supposed to eat of the forbidden fruit. Look at verse 3 and 4 of Genesis 3. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, this is Eve speaking to the serpent, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then Satan, he always has a rebuttal. That's why I always tell people, don't debate the devil. Answer him with the word of God. That's what Jesus did, as it is written, as it is written, as it is written. But look then what the serpent says back, his rebuttal to Eve. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. That's just like the devil. If God says yes, he says no. If God says you'll die, you'll live, the devil says. He always speaks the opposite of what God speaks. What was Satan doing? He was discrediting God's word by creating doubt. You won't surely die. In fact, he even said, are you sure that God said that? He not only discredited God's word, he distorted God's word by causing confusion. That's what confusion does. It distorts the word of God to support the narrative that the devil is trying to promote. And once you discredit, once you distort, then Satan will dismiss God's word by replacing truth with his own lies. Satan wants to replace God's narrative with his own. Here are some of those narratives. The devil will say, the Bible is only golden age mythology. You really believe that? You really believe that there was a man that went into the belly of a big fish? That's absurd. How about this? Jesus isn't the only option in life. There are other alternatives. There are other religious choices. Another lie the enemy brings is, there's no such thing as sin. How many are familiar with the existentialist Kierkegaard, considered the father of existentialism? Right and wrong is what's right or wrong in your own eyes at that moment. So you develop your own narrative to fit your lifestyle. How about this? Write your own moral code. Everybody wants to do their own thing. 
And then the devil will even cause people to disbelieve in him and his kingdom. With narratives like, hell is not a place, it's a state of mind. You ever heard people say idioms like, I'm going through hell? No, you're not. If you were there, you'd know it. The rich man who died when Lazarus died, he knew he was in hell because when he looked across the great gulf, he saw Lazarus resting in paradise, not heaven, paradise, the bosom of Abraham. Heaven was not open to people to enter until after Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave, until Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's why when you take and you look at Scripture, after Jesus was resurrected, Paul says in his epistles that he led captivity captive in his train. Now, that doesn't mean he had a train with a caboose down in paradise. It means a royal robe. And just as a, as a bride, when the train drags behind her, and, 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 and just as a king, if you look at some of the old movies or look at some of the depictions, artwork, you know, when you're researching history, a king would put on a royal robe, a royal garment, and there'd be a long train behind it. Jesus had the royal robe, the royal garment, as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when he ascended out of the belly of the earth, when he ascended, it not out of hell, but out of paradise, the bosom of Abraham, that holding place until Messiah would come. That's what he did for three days. He was preaching to those down there. They had not heard. There was no update. They didn't have the Philadelphia Inquirer. They didn't have cable news. They didn't have anything. So when Jesus arrived, he revealed to them, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for. And he expounded all of the truth from beginning to end, a three-day sermon. Hallelujah. How many of you would like me to go on for three days and you got to stay here? A three-day message. And finally, he said, listen, you're going to see its truth because shortly, my heavenly Father is going to stand. And he's going to speak my name just as I stood before the tomb of Lazarus. He is going to speak before the tomb that my physical body, my remains are in. But then my spirit and soul are going to reunite with my physical body. And I'm going to have a bodily resurrection from the dead. And guess what? Your spirit and soul, not your body until, until I come again, but your spirit and soul will be resurrected as well. And Scripture records in the Gospels when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it's just the saints of old. They were seen walking the streets of Jerusalem. It's in the Word. They nailed up paradise. They nailed up the bosom of Abraham. Didn't need that holding place. They had immediate entrance now, as Paul says in Thessalonians, absent from the body, present with the Lord. There's no soul sleep anymore. They were in the presence of God. Hallelujah. That excites me. If you've lost loved ones and they love and know, knew Jesus during their earthly walk, they're in the presence of God. My daughter, Laura, hallelujah, she's in the presence of God. And this is not all there is. This is not as good as it gets. I'll see her again. Cindy will see her again. And my family members and loved ones, friends, and the same is true for all of you, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You don't have to pray him into heaven. Well, they were pretty bad in their life. We're just going to give them an extra dose. We've got to get them out of this place called purgatory. Do you know the word purgatory is nowhere found in Scripture? Anywhere? Don't believe the traditions of men. Believe the Word of God. Amen. Believe God's narrative. Did you hear that? God's narrative. So here you'll find, what am I saying? Satan tries to replace God's narrative with his own narrative. Even to the point of saying, I don't believe in the devil or demons. Making his own thoughts as if they're our thoughts. I don't believe in the devil. Well, if there's no devil, then others are the problem or I'm the problem. And where is hope found in that? It isn't. Behind every false religion, behind every doctrine that seeks to remove God, Behind every sinful temptation and desire. That's right. Even when you are tempted and you have desires to do something that you know God doesn't approve of. Behind the thoughts that accompany those desires, those cravings, 
The Bible is very clear. There's a demon spirit behind it. A spirit of lust. A spirit of hate. A spirit of adultery. A spirit of homosexuality. There are spirits behind every sin, every temptation, and they're always accompanied with craving, desire. And that's where people they fall, fall into trouble because they think, well, it's one thing to have the thought, but I feel the desire. They don't understand that you wouldn't be tempted if there was not a desire. How many of you have ever gone on a diet and the moment you go on a diet, you want to eat more than ever? When an alcoholic or, or a, a drug addict takes and, and, and finds freedom in Christ, and then they take and they turn you know, from those addictions, there'll be times the devil will bombard them with desires. They want to drink. They want to get a fix. Smoke a joint. Shoot up. Whatever. Had a roommate in college. He was delivered out of a cocaine addiction. He loved Jesus. And he was preparing for the ministry. He had gone through Teen Challenge. And now he, he was at Messiah University. He was my roommate preparing to serve the Lord with his life. One night he wakes up screaming and crying. I woke up. I said, Bish, what's wrong? He says, Craig, pray for me. He goes, I just was dreaming I was doing coke again. I could taste it in the dream. I can still taste it now. What's wrong with me? I said, that's just called temptation. God set you free. Let's stamp it down in Jesus' name. We prayed. God prevailed. Temptation always is coupled with desire. That's normal. When you understand that, that'll cause people to stop taking responsibility for what we feel. We're not guilty of sin unless we participate in the sin. Scripture says Jesus was tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. That means for all human beings. That's tempted in every way like Christians are tempted. No, for the whole world, from the beginning to the end of time. That means every sin, even the abominable, from certain individuals' perspective. Whereas, honestly, there is no greater sin or lesser sin. Sin is sin. Some carry greater consequence, but sin is still sin. There's no measuring stick. Oh, that's a bad one. That's, a, that's an okay one. That's a moral sin. That's a menial sin. You'll never find that anywhere in the Bible. Hey, did you sin today? Yeah, but it was a little one. Sin is sin. That's imperative to understand. And so behind every sin, we need to understand there is a voice in that unseen kingdom, but not the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of darkness, a demon spirit that is trying to lead people astray. And those who deny or even fail to recognize this dynamic, the results are devastating. And that's why, that's why God established, because of Jesus, the church. Everybody say the church. This is how we combat this insidious assault. God uses the church to reveal truth. We are God's spiritual offspring. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a child of God. Tell them. Just shout it across if you have to. Those of you at home, if you've got somebody out in the kitchen, yell to them, hey, I'm a child of God. Sons and daughters, the scriptures say. Just as Jesus exercised authority over Satan as the son, capital S, of God, and over the entire kingdom of darkness, because we are God's spiritual offspring as Christians, Christians have been given this same authority. You can do what Jesus did. Doesn't mean we're doing it. Some of you may not believe it. But that doesn't change the reality. It's truth. That's why Jesus said, man, it's imperative to know truth. Truth brings freedom. You shall know the... And the... Will do what? Set you free. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 19. Here are 70 disciples that were sent out to cast out devils to do the works that Jesus did and we see the testimony of these 70 then the 70 returned with joy saying Lord even the demons 
or subject to us in your name. Not subject to us, but subject to us in your name. If you yell at the devil, you take authority and you do not exercise that name that's above all names, you're not going to see any results. You're not the powerhouse. Jesus in you, authenticating His Word, is the powerhouse. Seventy returned, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in Your name. And He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What was He referencing there? Jesus was telling them how it all began. He was going back to what I read in Revelation. When Satan was expelled with one-third of the angels to the earth, He was there. Even before His incarnation, His bodily form, He was at the right hand of the Father. He witnessed it all. Why? Because just as God the Father is eternal, Jesus is eternal. No beginning, no end. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I like this. Behold, I give you what? The authority to trample. He could have just said walk on. But to trample means you really beat someone up. They're hurt when it's all said and done. Like a stampede. You've, you've seen maybe in, in, in some of the old Western movies that someone was trampled to death by a stampede of horses or cattle. Here Jesus says, I give you authority to trample on serpents, which is representative of the devil. How many of you are ready to trample the devil? I mean, mess him up. On serpents and scorpions, which is representative of demon spirits. And over all the power of the enemy. Not everything but all the power. Everybody say all the power. All the power power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Listen to me, people. The church, Christians, believers. How many of you are believers? We are the spiritual extension of Jesus during our lifetimes, called to continue what Jesus began 2,000 years ago. We see that Jesus even gives this mandate to the church in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Look at it with me. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, And the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am. I think he spoke those words to Moses at the burning bush. I think Jesus spoke those words to the religious leaders before Abraham was. I am. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That's not a ending to a prayer amen means so let it be hallelujah (laughs) amen so let it be in closing i want to say this there is a battle being waged do you believe that turn on the tv take a look at it look at all of the crime the drugs the hatred the division satan is laughing from his evil throne beneath the earth There's a battle being waged for the souls of humanity. That means for you. That means for your families, your loved ones, your friends. That means for even those that we will never know this side of heaven. There is a battle being waged for them, for their souls, for their eternity. Jesus defeated the kingdom of darkness at the cross. He did. But it's up to us The church, everybody say the church. To appropriate in our lives and share that narrative so others can appropriate the final work of the cross in their lives. It's up to us to share that message. If you try to hide from the battle, you're going to be consumed. Remember, unseen plural, kingdoms. There's two. There's a battle waging in the heavenlies. Light against darkness, darkness against light. Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. 
but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, against the rulers of the darkness in this world. It's there. You can't hide from it. Because the spiritual dynamic dimension is wherever we go. So how do we combat? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. That's what it says in Revelation 12, 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. As we are fulfilling our true purpose, yes, we have jobs that provide for current needs in our lifestyles and living. But there is a calling beyond just living. There's a calling that the same faith that we have been given from God Almighty, He's called us to give it away to others. Last night, remember the family that lost their son in that tragic auto accident a year ago this past April? Cindy and I were invited to go over for just to remember the young man. The family live, lives directly across from us at our home. We went in there and we just began to encourage. We began to speak and, 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 and give Jesus to people. One man came up to me and he, he said, could you remember my friend? He had a bad stroke. And could you pray for him? If I walk out, the, out of that house, that room, I might forget to pray for him later. I said, sure, I'll pray for you. He asked. So in Jesus' name, I delivered. I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, Father, in the name, I prayed right there. People are watching. They're looking. Well, I don't know if they were looking. My eyes were closed. But right there, I gave my faith away. I wanted to do what Jesus would do. I wasn't looking to be religious. I was just looking to be real authentic God has called us to be authentic he knows you haven't always gotten it right that's why he's there to help you we're all a work in progress look at the person next to you and say God's working on you some of you smiled when you said it to a couple of those people we're all a work in progress thank the Lord I'm a work in progress don't allow God's continued work in your life to stop you from being used by Him. In fact, you'll find the more you allow God to use you, the more He'll empower you. When we are fulfilling our divine purpose, every other aspect of our life will fall into place. From the need of a new job, healing in our physical bodies, maybe victory over a a temptation or something we've been wrestling with, that thing that just seems to raise its face time and time again. God, as we allow Him to use us, He will bring whatever we need so that we can get the victory. Even the sending of His angels, His divine messengers, with a word that will encourage you and bring you into the winner's circle. Amen? Jesus defeated the kingdom of darkness at the cross. And one day, these unseen plural kingdoms will be reduced to one kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of Jesus Christ. Who will reign as Lord and Savior forever and ever. Amen? Let's all stand. Angels. The unseen kingdoms. Demons. God has already made a way. Amen? Have you experienced that way? Have you embraced that way? Do you know Jesus? In order to draw on the benefits of God's kingdom, you've got to join that kingdom. It's by choice, free will. I joined that kingdom back in 1974. Sunday night service at a small Baptist church. Jesus pierced my heart. I prayed and I gave my life to Him. I've never been the same. Thank God. And He has been faithful. I've walked a lot of roads. But God has been faithful every single part of the way. And guess what? He doesn't love me any more or any less than you. He has no favorites. So have you embraced his kingdom? 
Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? There's a whole host of angels that are ready to support you. God, the Holy Spirit is just waiting to indwell you. But you have to extend the invitation. Lord, come into my life. I want your great salvation. Everyone, just join hands across this whole auditorium. Everybody pull it together. I don't want any hand unheld. Find a hand, even if it's the row behind you. Just make sure everyone is connected. Slide over there. Come on, Bobby. Slide over. Grab a hand. Pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I want you in my life. I say yes to Jesus. I say yes to your kingdom. I confess with my mouth. I believe with my whole heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he's my Savior. Forgive me of every sin. Fill me with your spirit. And empower me to be used by you, to live for you, and to make a difference in the lives of others. From this day forward, I belong to you, and you belong to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.